We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello and welcome to the first March episode of the Guilty as Charged podcast. This is Tyler and joining me as always are Jason and Steven. How are you guys? Doing great. Uh, Doing okay. It was a good weekend. Fresh off the combine. It was a great weekend to watch some prospects and and get some additional notes and some thoughts on some players. Yeah, it was fun watching the combine. I'm out here vacationing in Texas. So, you know, it's late for me, but I'll live. What do you do in Texas? Oh, so... I just met with a lot of family today, and uh, tomorrow going to the San Antonio Riverwalk. Uh, later this week, going to go to the Gulf of Mexico and relax. Nice. Wow, Gulf of Mexico. Nice, dude. That'd be Jeez, fun. I'm, it's just kind of gross here in Orange County. <laughs> so whatever. And coronavirus. Fine, it's, it's go rampant. to the Gulf of Mexico. Anyway, today we're going to do a recap of the 2020 NFL Combine, not just the 40 times immeasurables, but... Some of the news and rumors that circulated, who the team met with, what Telesco and Lynn said, and so on. Uh, but yeah, some measurables too, because there were some outstanding performances uh, from players at positions in need for the Chargers. You guys have been diving headfirst into draft prospects. So let's talk about how these guys performed or didn't perform at the Combine. Steven, is there anyone that stood out to you? Maybe a certain offensive tackle who punched the lights out of a coach? <laughs> yeah, so I think one of the things I was looking forward most to was just kind of getting confirmation on players that I was really high on. Um, the first one that I want to talk about is Jodrick Wills. You know, he wouldn't, he didn't necessarily have the best 40 time out of the offensive tackles, but, um, I thought he tested really well in the positional drills and that was kind of the rave review for him as well. And just seeing those quick feet, the strong punch, the bench was solid. The, the 40 time was solid. Um, just kind of confirmed how I felt about him and just kind of validated my thinking about him as, uh, the best offensive tackle. And I know, you know, Beckton kind of stole the show and worsted too athletically, but um, you know, I view Wills as the all-around best tackle in the class, and that was kind of confirmed for me over the weekend. So the standout for me has to be Denzel Mims out of Baylor, wide receiver. Man, his combine <laughs> was explosive. Not just his 40 time. He ran his 6-6-6 three-cone, was it? You, you're putting up a good case, Denzel Mims, because you – probably just Denzel Mims probably just became a first round receiver borderline um you gotta talk about Justin Jefferson of course in that same position who probably ran his way to a first round pick uh and Justin Jefferson a receiver out of LSU uh played pretty much primarily in the slot I think he got like nine snaps outside of the slot this year that's not a lot and so to know that he has that 4-4 speed 
that you need at the outside. And he, he's got it. So that's going to be huge for Justin Jefferson because a lot of people thought he would be locked into this lot. And you don't want to take a, a slot receiver in round one. So, you know, there's a lot of guys that uh, really impressed. Uh, C.J. Henderson, another one. We just talked about him very recently. And C.J. Henderson, I believe, is my CB2. So, or he's my CB3, sorry. Bryce Hall was my CB2. Um, so C.J. Henderson, that's that's a, that's a really good time for him, guys. That's a 4-3-9. And uh, if he tackled better, <laughs> he, would, he would be up there in terms of value, man. He would be up there. Yeah, C.J. Henderson, he's, he's an athletic, he's a monster, man. And I think um, Mims did so much for his draft stock. Was there a receiver, Jason, that you kind of, uh, were disappointed in, in their performance this weekend. Obviously, you can go Jalen Rager. Uh, yeah. That was not great. We're not going to even talk about that. We're going to move on because he's more explosive on tape than that. He'll 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 be fine unless it's like a Elijah Holyfield situation where he goes from a first-round conversation all the way down to like borderline undrafted territory. I doubt it because Rager, Rager has – pretty good route running he has a little bit to work on he's great his ball skills are great so i i don't i don't see him falling that far but yeah rager is definitely a big topic of conversation um i'm gonna be honest i thought rugs was gonna be faster but i'm not disappointed because i mean that's ridiculous his time is yeah flu i honestly still look at that 40 I, I watch him run it versus watching ross run it i still think rugs looks faster i don't know well, why what was crazy to me about rugs is all the videos that came out afterwards of him playing basketball in high school and, and just like it's dunking insane. all over these these dudes. He did like these windmills on a guy and he's like, he's short. He's not super tall. So just seeing that athletic prowess from, from a guy like that was pretty insane. Um, yeah. Um, another guy that really helped his stock at receiver was Chase Claypool. Yeah. Um, who might be a tight end. That's incredible. Um, Especially cause he bulked up and everybody thought that he was going to be moving. And then it was like, Oh, He's super fast. Maybe not. <laughs> yeah, four, four, five, right? That is, yeah. Whew, man, He's no, that's a receiver time right there. You put him at tight end though. When he's that bulked up, put him at tight end. Yeah, Jesus. If he could get up to two fifty, two fifty five, I think that's that's perfect. Then you get an Evan Ingram type and create mismatch mismatches and move him all over the place. And you know, I don't know if I would depend on him blocking wise, but. In a passing game from a tight end position, if you get Chase Claypool, like that's really solid. Speaking of blocking, Denzel Mims is also a really freaking good blocker. And that mm-hmm. was a reason that he was so high on my rankings. I don't know if anybody saw my, my Twitter uh, my Twitter post. Denzel Mims is now my wide receiver one. Because the number one yeah. thing in, with Denzel Mims that, let, that kept me kind of toned down with him, he was my wide receiver two before was his athleticism. I don't know. I didn't know if he had the long speed and the explosiveness. I kind of knocked him for it. Um, And so after that combine performance, you pair it with what he shows on tape. I thought he was going to be a four, four, five guy. I somewhere around there, maybe, maybe even a little slower for him to go out and run a four, three, eight. That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. And you want to talk about the perfect receiver to come replace Tyrell Williams in Los Angeles. It's Denzel Mims. That's so. Do you think he's going to be there at pick thirty-seven? Tough to say. I mean, you got Rugs, you got Judy, you got Lamb, you got Rager. Um, oof, that's tough to say. That is, he might be, he might be, and you've got Brandon Ayuk, who I've heard a lot of clubs are very high on. You've got Justin Jefferson, who just went out and ran a four-four. So. He, he very well might be, but you also got to think that offensive tackles are going to be making a run. Like a lot of people are yeah. going to want their offensive tackle. For a lot sure. of people are going to want their quarterback. You know, if Eason and if all four of those quarterbacks go in the top 10 and then Fromm is taken in the top 15 or whatever, maybe you see, maybe you see Eason getting taken at the top of the, the, the back end of the first round, or maybe even hurts. Maybe quarterbacks suddenly become like this hot commodity where people just start moving up and taking these guys so you know so it's too early to say i mean he could they very well could be available at 37 i if he was available at 37 and they passed on that they could <laughs> because they need a tackle or a quarterback that'd be tough yeah 
No, that would hurt my. That would hurt. The other receiver I wanted to talk about in a bad way was Lavisca Chenault out of Colorado. Um, he, he was hurt though. He was but that's hurt. the thing that I wanted to talk about because he's always hurt. Like I, I think be- your best case with Chenault is is like a high end Debo Samuel. What Debo Samuel did for the 49ers was just with um, the various kind of run attempts and and pass catching attempts that Debo can kind of do. I think that's Chenault's kind of uh, positional comp. But man, he he's just hurt all the time. He didn't grade very high for me either. I know I told you guys this. He was he was barely in my top ten. Barely. I just there's a lot of things there as a lot of receiver skills. He doesn't wide receiver very good. I'm gonna be honest. He's good if he gets he's he's a good runner. He's a very good runner. He's a good athlete. I just mm, yeah, wide I wanna, receiver. He leaves a lot to be desired te- technically. Yeah, I want to go back and revisit some of his tape because I think um, you know I might have to drop him a few spots just because of that injury concern and um, he didn't test well, but. You know, he is hurt, so I can kind of move past the the forty time. But there's talk of him not even being able, to, being ready for his for his pro day. So, you know, I think mm. if he can test well at his pro day, I think that would be important. But you know, I think that remains to be seen. Let's go back to quarterbacks, Jason. You mentioned before we jumped on the podcast that Jordan Love was the only official visit or quarterback visit for the Chargers. Do you buy that? You sell that? What do you think? Well, I mean, it is it is official that it was a formal visit, and their three yeah, 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 formal yeah. visits for the combine were Zach Moss, running back out of Utah, Jordan Love, the quarterback out of Utah State, and Neville Gallimore, the defensive tackle out of Oklahoma. Um, so all three, I think, would be very good fits for the Chargers. You know, if Zach Moss is available late, which he might be after that combine performance, I mean, he was hurt also. Yeah, it was unfortunate. That was uh, that was not pretty. But, I mean, if you take Zach Moss late, once you let Melvin Gordon walk and kind of let him be your Melvin Gordon and then Austin Eckler continues his role, um, I would like that. That would be that would be a good thing. Um, Neville Gallimore would, eh, I don't know that I would want to take a tackle, a defensive tackle in rounds two or three after taking Jerry Tillery in round one. Round three, I would be okay with it. Round two, nah. And I think that's where Neville Gallimore is going to be taken as round two. But then again, I thought Derek Nadi was going to be a round two or three guy, and he became like I think he was late three or early four. And then Tom Tim Tim Settle, I believe, who went to the Redskins, he was a late guy as well. I thought he was going to go in early day two. So you never know with those D tackles; they kind of float around. You don't know where they're going to take in because some teams value them more than others, and the teams that do value them, value them more than others tend to take them in the first round. So. Uh, you might see Neville Gallimore fall, and I wouldn't mind that pick. I wouldn't mind Neville Gallimore. He's got a lot of upside. Uh, Jordan Love, that's the big one. That's the big one everybody's going to talk about is that he was the only quarterback that we know of so far that they have formally visited with, other than a couple late guys such as that they've talked to in the East-West Shrine game, for example, uh, Tommy Stevens out of Mississippi State, a quarterback that they interviewed at the East-West Shrine game. And then they also interviewed James Morgan out of Florida International, who was also a quarterback that they interviewed at the East-West Shrine game. So Jordan Love is the only big name that they've officially, that we know of, interviewed. They, they might have talked to Justin Herbert. I'm sure they did. I'm sure they, they had a brief conversation with him at the very least, right? I mean, they have, they have had, they had to have. And um, I know Tom Telesco mentioned... Justin Herbert and the Oregon Ducks kind of kind of defended them and their offensive struggles at some points. So he talked about him. Uh, does that does that mean they talked with him? No. Does that mean they like him? No. Uh, so the fact that Jordan Love though was the only guy they interviewed at the quarterback position kind of tells me that it doesn't matter as much as we make it out to be. It just means to me to me what it means is they're not sure about him, so they want to talk to him. Can you be the guy? You know, they're 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 watching the film. They go to the combine and they like the way he throws on film. They're concerned about the 17 picks, right? So they bring him in and, and they ask him, if we take you a pick six, is that gonna be cleaned up? What have you learned from those 17 interceptions? That's something Jordan Love was talking about, is those 17 interceptions. He said it was a learning experience, and that team's absolutely asked him about it. You know, you know the Chargers had to have been that team that asked about it. You know, Jordan Love. They 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 walk in and say, Jordan, our quarterback threw 
as many picks as you did plus last year. We don't want to go through that again. So if we take you a six, are we getting the same guy? And that's that's how I view them going and interviewing Jordan Love is we're not sure about you, honestly. So can you be the guy? What about the rumor sort of commented on by Benjamin Albright that there's a team out there that had Herbert as their number one quarterback last draft and this draft. If you that- had Justin Herbert ranked over Kyler Murray, I don't trust you. <laughs> or even Dwayne Haskins for that matter. Yeah, I'm not okay with that. I think, you know, there are certain things that certain teams are going to value more than others. Honestly, like if Justin Herbert had come out last year, he would have made a lot of sense for like the Giants. Like if the, if that team was the Giants, that would not surprise me at all just because you know, they value that arm strength so much and you know, I'm I'm hoping that this team is not the Chargers. You know, no offense to Justin Herbert, I don't think he's the number one quarterback and I don't think he would have been it last year either. Um, so I'm hoping that it's not the Chargers. Fingers crossed that it's not. Uh, Justin Herbert, by the way, ran a four six nine at the combine, and we've talked about how the Chargers want a mobile quarterback in the future. So Justin Herbert could fit that mold that they're looking for in their future quarterback. He could be that mobile guy. Uh, just want to put in there that uh, being fast is not being being mobile as a quarterback. Yeah, that's Marcus Mariota is fast. He's not mobile. There's a very big difference there. Tyrod Taylor is mobile. Um, their pocket awareness, being able to avoid pressure, knowing where to go to avoid pressure, knowing when to run, when to throw, um, being able to manipulate the pocket well, understand your offensive tackles, and um, you gotta you gotta really understand the pocket to be mobile. And so I don't think that Justin Herbert is that, uh, but he he did show the speed that that is coveted by the Chargers offense. Yeah, that was a good sign. I, I didn't expect him to run that fast. But my issues with Herbert have never been physical. Never. Like, like I know that he's he has so a strong gifted. arm. I know that he has a strong arm. I know that he's tall. I know that he can run when when given the chance. It's just like you're saying. It's just a mental aspect of the game. Right. And um, Dan Orvlosky actually put, up, put this video series out of the quarterback show over the weekend. And he was talking about with Herbert, it's not the issue of what he can do it's what he doesn't do you know right. he doesn't push the ball down the field he doesn't push the limits he doesn't throw it accurate to the boundaries he doesn't throw it accurately accurately over the middle sometimes it's it's not been a question of what he can do it's just those things that he doesn't do well and you know if you put him behind the chargers offensive line right now like he's gonna have to prove that he can evade offensive pressure and he didn't show that he could do that at Oregon with the best offensive line I've ever seen in my entire life at the college level. So it's just the, it's just the things that he doesn't do that concern me. And, you know, if Herbert was the pick at six, eventually I would be able to get over it and root for the guy because he's a charger, right? Like I would be able to root for him. It's just passing up all those blue chip elite talents to draft Justin Herbert just feels very underwhelming to me. I would be okay with Justin Herbert at six. I wouldn't be happy about it at first for a moment. Um, but, I, you know, it would take me maybe 20 seconds, and I'd be like, all right, but I get it. You know, big arm. He's athletic. He can move. Uh, he has all the gifts in the world athletically. Uh, his, the sky's the limit with this guy's arm. And uh, the sky might not even be the limit. I wouldn't be surprised if he chucked it up into the air and it broke through <laughs> the atmosphere. Yeah. But, um, you know, he's... I get, I get it. Yeah. I get it. If you think you can, if here's the thing, if you, if you believe Shane Steichen can turn Justin Herbert into an elite quarterback, if you think you can do that, if you think you can get Justin Herbert right mentally in terms of his awareness, in terms of his decision-making, in terms of his processing, in terms of being able to perform under pressure, which does not mean under the blitz. I just want to clarify that blitz and pressure are not the same thing, guys. If you believe you can fix Herbert like that, draft him. Go for it. 100%. If you think you can do it, and you think you can turn that top three arm, because he has a top three arm the second he enters the NFL, if you think you can fix it, do it. Pull the trigger. And the second they draft him, I'll say, okay. 
All right. Do it then. I hope you're right. That's really mature yeah. of you, Jason. Are you learning some manners in Texas? Yeehaw. <laughs> <laughs> That's Southern well, hospitality. <laughs> anyway, yes, exactly. All right, so Telesco did kind of defend Herbert and the Oregon offense in his presser. Let's get into that. Uh, Telesco doesn't really share a whole lot of things. I think you can look to Lynn to share some nuggets and let them, some things slip. Um, Telesco talked about adding a guy at receiver who can play uh, inside and outside. He sees Williams as more of an outside guy. Perfect. Perfect. Would like to try to get Allen on the inside. Um, talking about Adderley, he's in free safety or nickel, but he's got to see him on the field more. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really it. Just the same old, same old. You know, we want to sign or retain Gordon. We want to retain Henry Eckler, yada yada. So, uh, anything else you guys can pull from that? Nah, he keeps the cards close to his chest. He doesn't really talk yeah, at yeah. all. He he doesn't really reveal anything. And if he does reveal something, it's a lie. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone's gonna, you know, it's smokescreen season right now. Um, we, you know, it's important to note that you know, under Tom Telesco, most of the time the first round picks like people don't see coming. So, you know, we don't really know what is happening there, and I don't think we're ever going to know what his thought process is until after the draft happens. All right, well, what about Lynn? What are some interesting things you guys pulled from what he talked about? Well, the uh, comments about Dan Feeney, that was fine. Mm. Um, I don't understand why you're talking about the center position being up for grabs, and you talk about Dan Feeney, but you don't talk about Scott Questenberry. Mm-hmm. Like you either talk about both of them or neither of them. Like you, that makes no sense to me why you don't talk about Questenberry when he was clearly the better center, you know, at least in our eyes. And if that, if he thinks Feeney is center one, that's fine. But then also, why didn't you leave him at center when Forrest Lamp got hurt? Like, what's the thought process here? If you think Dan Feeney is such a good center, why did he move back to guard? So I just yeah. don't understand this thought process of, mentioning Dan Feeney but not Scott Questenberry. It makes no sense to me. What was the question? Um, they were asking him about move, potentially moving on from um, veteran guys like Russell Okung and Mike Pouncey. Right. Got it. And, um, you know, maybe maybe Feeney is better at center. Maybe he is the center of the future. Maybe. Uh, maybe they like Questenberry better at guard. That could be a possibility. I mean... Yeah, Questenberry's a very mobile guy. And like Steven said, he would have put Questenberry at guard and just kept Feeney at center. Like yeah, I don't so. personally care if Questenberry plays center or guard. He just needs to be on the field. Like Absolutely. he was their best offensive lineman last year. So if he's playing guard, like great. I hope he. I hope that happens. But I just don't understand the, th- the thought process of why you're talking about Dan Feeney and not Scott Questenberry. One hundred percent. You need to roll into this season with Questenberry at center. Feeney at left guard, Lamp at right guard, and have some rookies behind him to develop. Don't start him year one. Don't start rookie guard at year one. Don't do it unless you go and get like a top guy. But even the top rookie guards are not going to be elite guys. They're not going to be even good guys per se. So uh, another one that Lynn talks about was Kaiser White. Yeah. Uh, Lynn wants to keep Kaiser White at the Sam Otto role to limit his reps due to the knee injury in Kaiser's rookie year. So Kaiser White is the linebacker, uh, obviously, for the Chargers. And he was brought in as a safety. He was a really good blitzing safety out of college as well. Um, I believe he's out of West Virginia. This is one of the most puzzling parts of this team. The fact that he said limited his reps due to the knee injury, I kind of get it. Mm-hmm. I think they're sick of Denzel Perryman getting hurt. Thomas Davis was hurt on all year, as they said. They they they're kind of tired of Chavis Brown being both hurt and he's not performing well. Um, so I kind of get it, but I don't because Kaiser White is the best linebacker on this football team, and I don't. I again, I hate saying this, but I don't think it's close. I know people like Tranquil. I get it. People like Tranquil. Uh, he's. he's a good rookie linebacker. I get it. Um, I think he's a very secure tackler. I don't think Drew Tranquil is a is a playmaker per se. I think he's a good secure tackler right now, and I think he can become a good playmaker. He has the ability to become a good playmaker. Kaiser White is a playmaker right now when he's on the field. Drew Tranquil, he'll take another year to become like a true playmaker. Kaiser White, he's ready, 
and he's been ready ever since he stepped onto the field as a rookie. It was just a knee injury mm-hmm. set him back. You know, there was a game where he got liter- he got um, limited reps. W- what team was that against? Was that against the Broncos? Broncos. Mm-hmm. Limited reps. I think at the end of the game, it showed that he got 12. And he, what, he had two pass breakups, almost a pick, and two tackles behind the line of scrimmage, two tackles for losses. Good Lord, man. In 12 reps. And keep in mind, all of that happened in the first quarter. They did, they, he, I think the second pass breakup happened in the second quarter. They did not play him the rest of the game. What? Play him. I don't get it. Get him on the field. If you, if he has the hot hand, get him on the field. I, I get it. Thomas Davis is your veteran. You don't want to bench your veteran. I get it. Uh, Drew Tranquil is your developing rookie rotating with your established veteran in Denzel Perryman, who was getting healthy towards the end of last year, as Lynn was stating. Dude, I don't care. I don't care about pride. <laughs> get get Kaiser White on the field. That was odd. That is really odd. I don't and I and uh, what confuses me more is he want he said the long term plan was always to have Kaiser White playing Salmonado. Bull. Bull. That's a load of that's a lie. That's a bold faced lie. He lied to he he looked us in the eyeball and he and he lied to us. He looked into our souls and told <laughs> he took, us he took Brown's spot as the will his rookie season. Was yeah. that what it was? And then who he was, started who was Sam and Otto? Um Sam and Otto has always been well, ever since Uchenna and Mosu has been drafted, it's been in sure. Mosu. Okay. Um until like either Bosa or Ingram is hurt and then they move him to the, right. the pass rusher spot. They have said in the they've switched their stance sorry they have switched their stance recently to saying that mosu they want him to be more of a full-time situational pass rusher um they want to get him on the field as a pass rusher more they don't they don't really want to play him at that auto spot anymore because he's kind of evolved into that pure pass rushers role yeah Mm -hmm. so yeah they need a they need a sam auto uh put thomas davis there the dude's almost what is he 37 36, 37. Sure. Play him there. Well, the other thing that the other thing that doesn't make sense to me about Kaiser White is like you lose Derwin James, you lose you lose Adrian Phillips. Why is your best athlete in the secondary slash linebacker core not playing at that point? Yeah. Kaiser White used to play safety. Play him at strong safety. Exactly. Why are yeah. you playing yep. Roger Teamer? Why are you yeah. doing it? He wasn't ready. Teamer, I feel bad for Teamer because I really like Roger Teamer. He's gonna be a great special teamer in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you put him at strong safety as a starter and never sub him out with Jalen Watkins or Kaiser White with Rayshon Jenkins? He got roasted by the Texans. He got murdered. Mm-hmm. It was rough um, to watch. And it was by uh, Akins. Like, he, it wasn't even by a great tight end. It was just like he just <laughs> oh, wasn't ready. Man. So I, I don't understand, like, the like he's loyal to a fault to certain guys and in certain – like, there's no universal – loyalty to like veterans it's just like so confusing to me who he plays and who he favors he's loyal to weird he's loyal to some people yeah that's what i'm saying like the loyalty like in an in an instance where you have a guy go down to injury why wouldn't you play at the veterans kaiser white Jalen Watkins, over roderick tweamer who was an undrafted free agent rookie but he stuck right. by him for so long and i'm like i don't understand that loyalty where in certain places he'll go with a young guy, and then in other places he'll go with the vet. I'll hand it to Lynn a little bit here. Roderick Teamer did get better. He did, yeah. He did. He did get better. They understood what his limited role was. They stopped playing him in the hooks and telling him to cover these crossers. Roderick Teamer's slow as heck, man. I'd be surprised if Roderick Teamer ran a 4-7. Uh, his athleticism is not good. So they asked him, cover the curl of the flats, and that's it. And that's when you started to see Teamer be serviceable he improved um and then they brought Jalen Watkins in to start because Teamer pulled a hamstring I believe and Watkins was freaking phenomenal he was so good amazing it I there was so many times where I watched Jalen Watkins make a play and I was like dang Dez as in Dez King yep. and it was Jalen Watkins the same thing happened with Brandon Faison later in the season as well as Brandon Faison would make a great play and you go wow Desmond King killing it and it ended up being uh, face on or Watkins. <laughs> yeah. So the uh, man, I really wish Kaiser found a 
Kaiser White yeah. found a way onto the field. I was just saying, I believe in Anthony Lynn. I think he's the right man for this job. It's just certain situations. I'm like, right. I wish we could get like a straight answer of like, do you really think this guy is special? Do you really think that Rayshon Jenkins is elite? Like what really is happening here? Maybe he just sees development. Maybe he does. Because Jalen Watkins, not Jalen Watkins, sorry. Uh, Rayshon Jenkins did kind of break out after he said that. He notched the three interceptions. He looked okay. He looked pretty good. Anyways, moving on next is going to be both Telesco and Lynn have faith in Taylor. And I think it's legitimate faith. They're not just talking. Um, you know, you had Telesco say that he believes Taylor, Taylor can win in this league. Uh, that Taylor has done this before in that he can come in as the Chargers quarterback and win some games for them. Uh, Lynn said that he believed in Taylor before and he'll believe in him again. Uh, that Taylor limited his turnovers and that he'll come in and do a similar thing for the Chargers and allow the team to play uh, to their strengths. And, you know, I, I, I trust in that as much as Telesco and Lynn do, and I think it's important that they do have faith in Taylor because I do think Taylor can play in this league. Number four on the list of things to talk about at this combine was the Chargers like Nasir Adderley, both Telesco and Lynn uh, kind of praised the young safety and Nasir Adderley for those that don't know was the second round pick for the Chargers uh, safety out of Delaware he played corner in college and they just want him to get on the field the, this is a redshirt year for him I believe they expressed that this could be what some young guys need is a redshirt year to develop and so Nasir Adderley this is a big one because they seemed frustrated with him last year they you know, they wanted him to fight through this injury. They wanted him to play through the pain. They wanted him to recover maybe a little quicker. Um, but everybody heals differently. As Lynn said all year, it's, it's hard to peg when a guy can return. And they they kind of lost their patience with Nasir and placed him on IR so that they could fill other needs. And uh, so you could, set, you could see the frustration there. So it's nice. It's like a breath of fresh air that they have not lost faith in Adderley, which if they shouldn't, he showcased the talent he has in his limited action. And it's going to be very important. He he is the player that might be the most important going into next year. He has to do something, whether it's that dimebacker, whether it's corner, nickel corner if Des King doesn't return to his form. Um, but that CB2 spot is a real need right now. And so if, if Adderley can go play cover three corner, I think he can. That's going to be big. It's huge. Nasir needs to get on the field. All right. Yeah. So I, you know, I thought that this was important because Anthony Lynn kept on talking about the importance of a protecting the football more often and taking the football away more often. So I think Adderley is a, a big piece of that equation. You know, we saw little glimpses of that in the preseason game against San Francisco, where he could come in and make plays and create some turnovers and um, whether. Um, he plays free safety or cornerback, you know, that remains to be seen. But I think he naturally has that ability where he can come in and create turnovers at any position. He's such a good ball hack at, um, in either role that I think that's a big piece of wanting to, him to come back and be healthy and prove that he can be an effective player next year. But even if he can't play defense, he's at least got special teams. You know, we started out the year helping spring Kings with like 40 whatever yard returned his one of his only big returns of the year. Um, so I think he's really important there, and hopefully he can come around and at least at least have that role. Right. Wow, Jason, you really think he's one of the most important pieces of next year. That's interesting. Yeah, You I really mean, think he can play CB2? I think he can. I mean, yeah. he, the Chargers have such a scheme-friendly um, cover-three scheme in terms of young corners, and I feel like Michael Davis and Brandon Faison are just kind of the wrong kind of guys. To, to put there mm-hmm. that CB2 role. I think Faison really found his role a bit later on there, um, which was as a deep cover guy. He covered deep very well, actually. I think that went off, that went very unnoticed by fans because, you know, those curl routes killed Faison. He really couldn't defend the curls, the comebacks, but you ask him to defend a fade or a post, he, he did really well, and he was a great tackler. And um, I think Nas, he has that, he's quick, he's twitchy, very instinctive flies all over the field and he doesn't let anybody behind him and you talk about that in putting that in at cb2 in that cover three role that's perfect 
so I think it's very friendly in a in for zone corners to come and be a good corner in uh, in the scheme. Um, so I think he can do it. It's just whether or not you want him to. Do you like him more at free safety or do you like him more at CB2? Do you want him at CB2 or would you rather have him play the Adrian Phillips role? I mean, there's a lot to work with there. There's a lot of there's a lot of diversity in this. Uh, there's a lot of versatility in this cornerback room, in this safety room. So you have a lot to work with. I think face. I would be interested to see face on play some nickel corner as well. I would like to see face on play some nickel corner. He's a great tackler. And so I think it could be essential when thinking about Desmond King. Do you want to pay the? Do you want to pay him this as a, uh, extension when he really dropped off? Uh, do you think another year is enough to really see if he's going to be good? If he struggles this year, you could be talking about moving on from Desmond King. So maybe it's time to go bring Arion Springs back from the XFL. Uh, he played some. He played well in the preseason. He really did. And so, you know, you bring Arion Springs. I heard he played it well in training camp. I wasn't there, but I heard he did really well in training camp and he played pretty well in his limited reps in preseason. So maybe you bring Springs back and maybe you have uh, a guy come in through the draft and you kind of battle it out between those three guys and see what happens. Yeah, that's a really fair part, really fair point because Desmond King, you know, he missed a lot of tackles that he wasn't missing this past season. So, yeah, I think face on at worst is a good depth piece to have behind him and I'd be interested to see him getting some more reps as well. So the next point to talk about that was the really the last noticeable thing from the the Q and A's or not the Q and A's but the uh, the pressers that I cared to listen to, um, or that I care to cover at this point is going to be James Campen is already mm-hmm. having an effect on the Chargers. You could tell Lynn and Telesco were very open in terms of like when reporters asked how James Campen has kind of changed the room already. They're talking about how they're already open to changing their scheme as an entirety of the old line to what James Campen sorry, what James Campen wants to do. And so that's huge for me. And when you when you think about how this scheme has really struggled and you talk about Questenberry and Pipkins, uh, they've already kind of been changing their scheme a little bit in terms of the personnel they're bringing in. So then you bring in James Campen, who gets the most out of these mid-round picks, such as Questenberry or Pipkins, Feeney, Lamp. I think I'm very comfortable with this O-line, and I know people are going to hate me for that, but um, I'm comfortable with this O-line moving forward. I do think they need a guy, like a young elite talent, but um, you you tell me from left guard to right tackle, assuming Trey Pipkins would play right tackle. Left guard to right tackle? I'm fine. Yeah, I think you know this hiring of James Campen is going to be really important going forward, and especially with the draft process. Um, I don't know necessarily if there's like a certain player in free agency or the draft that would necessitate and force that change of scheme or keep this game the one way. Um, but they were re- reportedly really interested in Ezra Cleveland over the the weekend, and I think he would be a really good fit as far as what they're looking at as the tackle position, like Jason's talking about, just that athleticism and short area quickness. That's um, a perfect fit for what they've been trying to do. Yeah. Put Pipkins at left tackle and have Ezra play right tackle or vice versa. You know, that's a that's a very athletic combo. And so that they're interested in Ezra Cleveland, you know, that's, that's athleticism. They've met with uh, Cameron Clark, uh, offensive tackle out of Charlotte as well, who kind of also fits that mold. So, you know, it's, it's interesting to me. They've definitely taken a step in a different direction in terms of what offensive tackles they want, what offensive guards they want, and obviously now what center they want. So the entire yeah. line is just different. And so this brings up kind of, you know, shifting a little bit towards the future. Like, you know, obviously people, Chargers fans are going to want some big splash free agents like Brandon Scherf. Like, you know, he's not really a fit of what that mold is, and they're not really – that doesn't really fit what Questenberry does or what Lamp does or Pipkins does. And you can look to the draft too, like Natane Mute, Muti, who we interviewed and, and showed out this weekend with 44 bench reps. Like he doesn't really fit that kind of mold. I think he could do it, but he's more of like a downhill, physical, aggressive right. run blocker. Beckton so as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I would really like him. I think he would be able to adjust to a zone scheme and an outside scheme, but um, I think he he's better suited with a downhill run blocking scheme. So um, listening to Campin, I think is going to be a huge step forward because, you know, we haven't really seen a ton of development 
out of the offensive linemen that have been on this team. So I think Camping coming in is a huge sign that they are prioritizing the offensive line and the, the development of the players that they already have. I'm going to throw out kind of like a dumb, sort of dumb question, just to try to tie things together, especially that, that, that Feeney comment. I don't know anything about offensive line, so you know, I'm Chinese, and the only wall we can create is a great wall. So um, I'm just curious, because I don't know anything, is Feeney at center maybe better for what Campen would want to do and want to change, or does it not even matter? I don't. I think Questenberry is more mobile than Feeney, so I think if your goal is to have a guy at center be that guy that pulls out and kind of sets the edge and moves up to the second level, I think that would be... Questenberry. I would have to learn more about like how specific he would want to be as far as guard versus center, but Questenberry is definitely the more mobile and athletic of the two. Um, yeah, I, I'd have to do a little more research on James Campen and how he molded his own line in Green Bay. I wasn't really, I wasn't really ready for that question. That's a good question, Tyler. That is a that is a good uh, question for sure. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow, but um. <laughs> You know, in terms of where they've gone so far, mobility is the key. You know, this this mobility they've been building. And then Questenberry's a guy. Feeney's not a mobile guard, I don't think, whatsoever. He's more of like a sit-there-and-anchor guy. Yeah. You know, don't let nobody through. I mean, he lets people through anyway. But, you know, he's a, he's a downfield blocker. You know, tell him the power. If you if you pair, you know, they could go the route of pair Mackay Becton and Dan Feeney up at left tackle and left guard. And, uh, you know, Becton's a good pass blocker, but then that side is your power run blocking guy. You're like your power run blocking side. And then you set up Trey Pipkins, uh, Forrest Lamp, uh, have those guys be your pullers, you know, and kind of switch it up a little bit, you know, run to the left power and have both Pipkins and Lamp pull left and have some fun. I mean, that's not really a traditional thing to do in the NFL, but I mean, that could be a route they go. I will say as far as like signals and, and pointing towards the future about this, you know, the Russell Okung thing is interesting to me because he doesn't necessarily fit an outside zone run blocking scheme. Yeah. Um, I think Pouncey, I think Pouncey could, could yeah, be a fit. I think sure. Pouncey can definitely be that kind of guy from the center, but Okung, like that would be, you know, like you're saying with Becton, like staying on the left side power, right side zone. Like that's probably what you have to do with Okung too. Yeah. Um, you know who could be a target for them? And I'm wondering, I'm kind of talking myself into it, is Werfs. Oh, that yes. really yeah. fits what they've kind of been building here. And I think we've seen a couple mocks have them take Werfs in the couple, last few days as well. So, I mean, that could be interesting. I'd, it'd be a little rich for my taste. I mean, I loved his combine. I loved it. But you're talking about taking Werfs at six. There were some things on tape I was a little concerned about with Werfs. Um, and if you want to hear that, we have an O-line podcast that we did a couple weeks back. Those are all still concerns with me with Werfs. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I would be okay with it, but I don't think there's a lot better talent on the board, I think, than Tristan Werfs. Yeah, yeah, I definitely was really impressed with Werfs, and I knew he was athletic. I didn't know that he was that athletic. And I right. do want to go back and revisit the Tristan Wirfs Andrew Thomas battle for three and four, but if you're sitting at six and you're passing up Mackay Becton for Tristan Wirfs, I don't know, like, I don't know if I would feel comfortable passing up Mackay Becton for Tristan Wirfs. If you're looking for a toolsy tackle, kind of, I'd wait for Josh Jones out of Houston. Yeah, I'd wait a little bit, or because Cleveland. Josh Jones. Right, Ezra Cleveland as well. Wait for him in the second round. One of those two guys is going to be available in the second round. Ezra Cleveland should be. So, I mean, be patient. Um, I still, I'm not 100% in the belief that you should be taking an offensive tackle in the first round so early. Maybe later on in the first round. Top 10 is a little rich for me for offensive tackles. I don't know about that. That's, um, you know, there's a lot of elite talent you get that I think that I personally believe impacts the game much more. You know, you go get an elite middle linebacker, you go and get your quarterback, you go and get your, you know, your playmaker, wherever it may be. And, uh, you know, if there's a Mekhi Becton, if there's an elite offensive tackle available, then I'm all for it. Go for it. Uh, but Tristan Wirfs, 
I'm not ready for that. That's that's where you're getting into the territory territory where you're getting into the territory where you're not taking an elite prospect. You're taking a prospect that fits your scheme in a position you need. Yeah. That's yeah. not the best player available. That's not an elite prospect. That's that's taking the best that's taking a player by need. You don't want to get into that territory in the draft. You don't want to do it. Especially at six. So that's a fair distinction. And yeah, I, I really like Werfs, like we've said. Um but the one thing I know about Tom Telesco is he's going to take whoever he thinks is the best player available. Right. And if he doesn't think a quarterback is the best player available, I don't think he's going to do it. No. I'm gonna, I mean, if he doesn't think that this quarterback is worth the top 10 pick, Telesco's not the kind of guy that's going to go reach for it. Not in the first round. Maybe in the third rounds, uh, such as Trey Pipkins, everybody believes that was a reach. I still don't think it was a reach. I mean, there were. I think, somebody, I think another team was going to get him. You know, Trey Pipkins has a really good tool set. So, I mean... Well, an I offensive think, tackle think, last year was such a waste. It was awful. Like, you had to take awful. Pipkins there if you were going to take him. Yeah, and so that's where the value was. Um, if you do reach for one position in any draft, it's quarterback, though. You mm-hmm. do it. Yeah. Because that's such an important position. So if you need to reach, you do it. Everybody thought Patrick Mahomes was a reach. And what was he taking, 14? So, mm-hmm. I mean, if you think that you can get your guy at six, you do it. You think you can, if you think Jake Fromm is your guy, if you think he's your franchise quarterback, I mean, you take him at six. I don't care. I mean, you do it. Maybe you trade back a little bit, but if he's your guy, Jake Fromm's not going to be available in the second round. So, I mean, if Tristan Wirfs is your guy and you value him at six and you think he's your best offensive tackle, you do it. Pull the trigger. Go for it. I mean, but I, I personally don't see the value there. Are we good? Anything else y'all want to talk about? Nope. I think that is all we're going to talk about. Any more, and I'm going to fall asleep. Perfect. All right. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll be covering interior defensive line and safeties and linebackers soon, and then it's on to free agency. You know what? Stay tuned for our – what? You know what? I do want to talk about one more thing. (laughs) Okay. Thanks, Uh, Jason. I want to talk about P.J. Walker a little bit. So, P.J. Walker plays in the XFL for the Houston Roughnecks. Uh, he's thrown 12 touchdowns, two interceptions, a, a 104.5 passer rating, 17 rushes for 104 yards and a touchdown. He's done this in four games, by the way. P.J. Walker, Philip Walker is his actual name, is a quarterback out of Temple. He's 24 years old, and I feel like this needs to be a conversation that P.J. Walker could be a Charger next year. Because this guy fits what they want to do, and he's a legit prospect. He's a legit prospect. I mean, he's 24 years old, and he is in a lower-tier league than the NFL, and he's killing it. And if he was putting up these stats and he was putting up this tape in college, you go and look at some of the throws he makes, and and if he he was putting this up in college right now, you're talking about him as a first-round pick. I mean, you are. And the XFL is a higher level of competition than college football. It just is. You're still getting elite talents from all over the country coming in and playing football in one league on ten teams. So it's a it's you're you're really you're still dwindling it down to like the second tier of players behind the NFL, but above college. He's putting up the tape. I don't know if you guys have watched too much on PJ Walker. Nope. There are throws that this guy has made that put Jordan Love to shame that put Tua Taikovailoa to shame. And I just watched some of these throws he makes or some of the under pressure outside the pocket deep. Uh, he threw one to Cam Phillips last week. He was getting sacked. He was getting hit by two D linemen. And he threw it to, he, he had the processor to still go through his reads and throw it to a wide open Cam Phillips. He followed it up later in the game with a three point conversion where he explained this in an interview after the play was made, where he said he looked at this, he looked the safety off with his eyes, looked at the bottom read, noticed that the safety was sitting, and threw a beautiful touch pass over the safety while he while the safety hesitated into a perfect spot for the receiver to catch it. And he walked the reporter through this as well. He walked him through the thought process and talked about it all. Um, that's legit. That is legit, and I think it's kind of time 
that we've acknowledged the XFL a little bit, that these are prospects too. These are, these are just as valuable as draftable guys. Because if you bring in a guy from the XFL and he performs on your football team, your scouting department has won. They did a good job, just like they were scouting a regular college player. So PJ Walker, Cam Phillips, guys like that, they're legit prospects. So it's time to start looking at PJ Walker as somebody that can come into the Chargers as that mobile guy that Lynn wants and perform. He wouldn't cost a pick. You just got to pay him more than the other teams are going to pay him because he's going to get paid this offseason by, by an NFL team. He is. It's going to happen. I'd, I'd want the Chargers to be that team. Yeah, personally, I haven't watched much of him. I did watch his game a little bit uh, last week, and I did see that throw that you're bringing up about the the three-point conversion, which I love that idea, by the way. I think the XFL has some really cool things about it. Um, but I, I can't imagine that P.J. Walker is playing in the XFL again next year. I think he's definitely going to be at least trying out for some teams. So, you know, I, I trust Jason here, and I think that P.J. Walker has enough tools and, and mobility and talent that he at least deserves some some thought. I think he deserves a tryout for sure. Now I'm done. No, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, the Chargers have no problem looking at guys in different leagues. I mean, they got Ty Long, right. uh, Dexter McCoyle, Dontrell Inman. You know, some point. of these guys come in, and, you know, so they, don't, they don't mind. And, and they obviously, they'll, they'll scout the little guys. I mean, undrafted free agents might be their best uh, scouting department or section, I guess. Anyway, everybody, thanks again for tuning in. We'll be covering interior defensive line, safeties, and linebackers soon. And it's on to free agency. Jason and Steven, what's y'all's Twitter info? All right, my personal Twitter account is Steven I. Hagland, and I do run the podcast account at GAC Podcast 17. And uh, make sure you guys are following us on Patreon, too. We're going to have a lot of cool stuff coming up on that as well. Including a grading system. Yes, those are the t- $10 tier or higher. There's only two other tiers, but whatever. Um, you have access to the grading system. We'll figure out how to put those grades up. But uh, Jason and Steven work on their grades. And uh, I don't know if you can yell at them now with yep. proof of yeah. stuff. So whatever. It'll be fun. Anyway, uh, Jason, what's your Twitter info? At Centauri13, hashtag love at six. Or PJ this Walker. Is, or PJ Walker. <laughs> nah. Hashtag love at six. Gracious. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. Well, this is Tyler at Tyler J. Shoon. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.